According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're here this morning for the purpose of growth. We are in Proverbs chapter 11, and we are looking at verses 11 through 14. And we're going to talk about guidance counselors today in uh, verse 14. Uh, But we've been talking about the impact that believers can have in their community and uh, so as we look at these verses, I think we've covered pretty much the things out of uh, 11, 12, and 13, and uh, we're ready now to look at uh, the issue of guidance uh, in verse 14. Before we get started, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking God to set aside our distractions to take hold of our thinking. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning, thankful for your truth, thankful for your faithfulness, rejoicing over the blessing that we have this morning to assemble together. Thankful for holiday weeks, Father, and the blessings of uh, being able to take part. I just thank you for all these things, calling upon your faithfulness to open the eyes of our understanding, to bless our study today. I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Always fun in the holiday weeks to have extra people here in the, in the Proverbs class. All right, we've been looking at the community impact that we have as believers, what Pastor Theme called the pivot, which I don't often use that term, but um, I understand it for what it is. I think it's the, the blessing by association that happens when you have a concentration of believers in a locality, and that is expressed through those believers. Believers that are living their lives according to God's wisdom will benefit their culture because they're not stealing, they're not murdering, they're not committing adultery, they are... They are honoring the Lord in all that they do, and they are productive in what they do. And they're productive not for carnal reasons, they're productive for biblical reasons in, uh, in these things. And so as we look at it, and uh, really what we were dealing with um, in, uh, I forget the slide number, let's try that. Yeah, political joy and exaltation. That is the, po- the body politic, the, the culture around us. Uh, they are rejoicing when we do well. Uh, They are exalted when we do well. The well-being and blessing of the righteous benefits our culture. So when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. As we are growing in the word of God, we are benefiting our city. And when the wicked perish, there is joyful shouting. And uh, we, we see Similar things that that uh, that happen in our news coverage today. If if a if a troublemaker is is gone, they're gone, and, and we can breathe a sigh of relief. If uh, uh, you know there was a manhunt for uh, a terrorist, and and uh, then they find out that he was shot and killed in Italy, uh, well then great, he's not coming back to Germany, and he won't be uh, returning back to to do more damage and and things of that nature. Uh, again, verse 11, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is torn down. And so who has the freedom to speak? Does the upright have the freedom to speak or are they crushed? Uh, is it the wicked that have the freedom to speak or are they set aside? See, who is on the ascendancy and who is on the descendancy and the political waves that, that rise and fall? So, um, these are, these are aspects we want to be aware of. All right, uh, so that's verses 10 and verses 11 there. 
Uh, we have issues of gossip and slander in verses 12 and 13. And then we have guidance and wisdom that happens here in verse 14. And all of these verses come together and, and, and describe the impact that we have in our culture, in our neighborhoods. So the subpoints to this, the temporal welfare of the city provides temporal welfare to the just and the unjust. We understand that from Jeremiah 29. But it goes the other, the other direction as well. Okay? So it's not just, hey, if the economy is great, we do great. If the economy is horrible, we have a tough time. Okay? That's where it's rolling downhill from the, from the community to us. But it goes the other way as well. And that's what Proverbs is dealing with here. When we do well, the blessings flow up. The spiritual life of citizens and politicians provides temporal benefit to the population. We want to understand how that works. And by the way, from the city coming down to us, we can, the rain falls on the just and unjust, right? So rain, okay? Weather, environmental, you know, the, the creation and, and, and every, every aspect of that, the economy, uh, freedom, warfare, crime, uh, all these things, uh, that's what comes down to us. But the spiritual benefits, do we get those from government? No, right? Those come from God. We, spiritually, as we grow, we have a blessing by association in the spiritual realm that the government can never provide. And if we confuse that, if we absolutely confuse that, if we try to create a theocracy or if we envision a model of government whereby uh, the, the, the state imposes a belief or imposes spiritual blessings, then um, we've totally violated the pattern the Scripture has given us, see? And that's why our founding fathers very clearly delineated between what the role of the government and then the freedoms that we have in the church. Anyway, that's for a different, a different study. In points A and B, though, we recognize the, the up and down nature of this, from, from the government to us and from us to the government. Believers learn to stand out or lay low as political ascendancy or descendancy is manifest. And as I say, the, the clearer passage on this comes in Proverbs 28 or really Amos 5, 13. But I think it's seen here, it's implicitly here in, in chapter 11, because by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. Do we have the freedom to bless the city? Do we have the freedom? I'm still invited, amazingly enough. I thought I was disinvited 10 years ago. But uh, here not long, a couple months back, I was invited to the mayor's office, to the city council, and got to give an opening prayer, an opening invocation before the city council conducted their business on a, on a particular Thursday. And so we have the privilege to be able to bless, the privilege to be able to speak well of our city as we call upon God and God's grace and God's mercy and God's provision. We get to bless until they close our mouths, <laughs> until we're not tolerated, until we're shoved out of the public square. And then when we are silenced, then who's left to, to keep their mouth open? Well, the rest of verse 11 here, the mouth of the wicked. If, if that's the only mouth that's allowed to be voiced in the public square, then the, then the, the community is on its way down. This is the, the nature of it. All right, and so we stand out or we lay low in, uh, <clears throat> as these things rise and fall, as they ebb and flow, the nature of a political wind. It'll blow one way or it'll blow another way. A, a, a wave will rise or a wave will fall. And uh, we need to be, have discernment on those principles as well. Let me just grab these. I don't want to reteach what we taught, but just to remind ourselves, Proverbs 28, 
because I think it's important to have these fixed in our thinking. Proverbs 28, 12. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory, but when the wicked rise, men hide themselves. And you see, it's never both at the same time. It's one or the other. Who is ascending and who is descending? And, uh, and who has the, the freedom to, to stand and, and boldly say, you know, this is my view, this is what I stand for. And then who has to kind of keep that quiet? Because yeah, you really don't want to say anything. You really want to, ah, man, you know, if I, if, I, if I put a bumper sticker on my car, it's going to get keyed or uh, my house is going to get egged if I have a sign out front or there's, you know, I got to kind of be quiet about, about this because the other side is really vile and violent and, 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 uh, and so forth. Same chapter, verse 28. When the wicked rise, men hide themselves. But when they perish, the righteous increase. And so there is a time to lay low. There is a time to hide, if you will. Think about how many times Jesus hid. He was hidden from their sight because his hour had not yet come. That to have the discernment to lay low is biblical. But then to stand forth is also biblical when uh, God has blessed a, uh, a nation or a community in that regard. Uh, Proverbs 29, 2, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, people groan. People groan. And I tell you, with uh, the UN resolution that was just passed, I am groaning louder than I've ever groaned. And uh, for, to not veto a, a resolution that conde- in the Security Council that condemned uh, Israel is just unthinkable to me. And, uh, and uh, you wonder, how many more days till January 20th? How much discipline are we coming under? We're cursing the Jewish people. Man, are we lining ourselves up for judgment. Uh, Amos 5.13. Amos was famous. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. 5.13. You know, Amos 5, he's talking about the Pleiades and Orion. What does this primitive guy know about the stars in the universe? All right. They knew a whole lot more than we give them credit for. Here we go. Uh, verse 13. Well, backing up a little bit. Uh, verse 10 says, They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks with integrity. You know, nothing, nothing bugs uh, uh, criminals more than righteous judges. <laughs> nothing bugs them more than somebody they can't buy off or someone that won't join them in their corruption. Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact a tribute of grain from them, though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, yet you will not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink their wine. Okay? You want to talk about a social justice warrior? Here they are. This is believers standing forth and speaking for truth. This is not some kind of a vile activism. This is believers being transformed by the Word of God that live out God's standards. For I know your transgressions are many and your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes and turn aside the poor in the gate. Therefore, at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent, for it is an evil time. It is an evil time. So ask yourself, 2016, is it a good time or an evil time? 
2017, is it going to be a good time or an evil time? What is it going to be in God's ledger? Should we be prudent? Should we be hiding ourselves? Or should we be speaking out? Is, it, is righteousness on the ascendancy or is unrighteousness on the ascendancy? How does that go? All right? And then I talk about it a lot, but I don't have the exact passage. It's, I think it's in Luke when Jesus is arrested. And he says, this hour and the power of darkness are yours. We'll have to find it. It'll be in one of the Gethsemane records. Say again. Luke 22, 53. There it is. Thank you. This hour and the power of darkness are yours. See. And here's Peter. He's going to grab a sword and he's going <laughs> to do all this. And No. Okay. What's the answer? We don't agree with, with what's happening and it's a dark day. And what are we going to do? We're going to turn militant? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take up arms and we're going to overthrow the government? We're going to bring in a better government? What are we going to do? We're going to recognize this is an evil hour and we're going to be prudent. And we're going to continue to grow in the Word of God. We're going to be stronger in the Word of God. Different applications there. All right. Which brings us to verses 12 and 13, gossip and slander. They destroy a community, so wisdom keeps matters silent. And this is what we talked about last week. It's really a review from some principles we uh, looked at in chapter 10. So the, uh, the blessing to shut your mouth. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're not telling tales. We're not tale bearers. That's insane. He who despises his neighbor lacks sense. Just like the man that commits adultery with his neighbor's wife is lacking sense. It's insane. But a man of understanding keeps silent. He who goes about as a tale bearer reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. And this is our privilege in grace, our privilege in faithfulness, our privilege in love. Remember, love covers a multitude of transgressions. We're not blabbing everything. We're not, you know, you think about the, the talebearer, the gossip, the neighborhood gossip. You know, you talk about somebody that's going to burn down a city, and they might as well be arsonists, right? And they're not physically burning down houses, but metaphorically, the tongue is a fire. What are they doing when they're going from house to house and they're spreading, hey, did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? And the whole purpose is to uh, cause as much damage as possible. Despising your neighbor is insane. And uh, we looked at booze. We talked about lacking sense. It's really, it's a heart damage is what happens. It's the, it's the lacking of the heart. The verb that speaks of lacking and then the noun heart, the idiomatic use of chaser plus lavav. We have lacking heart. It shows a heart deficiency. It shows there's something seriously wrong with this person's soul that they're engaged in this kind of slander, engaged in this kind of gossip. What, what motivates that? Do they, do they enjoy it? Yeah, they do. Why? Because they're tearing somebody down. Well, why, would you, why do you find that pleasant? Why do you find that enjoyable? Why, why, is that a, why is that a fun thing to do? Because you miserable, nasty person somehow feel better if you can tear somebody else down. That's what it's about. And in uh, and, and causing the, the, uh, their, the promotion of your own self-esteem through tearing down somebody else's <laughs> uh, reputation is a horrible thing. It is the utter absence of faithfulness. And you'll notice 
the absence of faithfulness because he who is trustworthy. This is the amen language from the Hebrew, the amen, right? The amen. The amen doesn't reveal secrets. The amen is not a slanderer. Who is the slanderer? Satan is the slanderer. Satan is the one that loves to stand before God in heaven and say, here's what this person did. Here's what that person did. Here's what this other person did. And doing everything he can to get Job to trip up so he can go back up to heaven and say, here's what Job did. (laughs) Okay. And the whole point, why does he afflict us? So he can level accusations against us. He is the slanderer. Jesus is the faithful one. Jesus is the amen. Satan is the slanderer. And so we see we have themes here that represent the entirety of the angelic conflict, what we're dealing with. Are we an imitator of Christ or are we an imitator of Satan? What are we doing? This utter absence of faithfulness. All right, which gets us now to verse 14. Abundant public wisdom. Abundant public wisdom. Filling the commons with common sense. Supplies community guidance and salvation. This is my point under point 10, which is effectively a rewrite of verse 14. Let's look at it. Proverbs 11, verse 14. Where there is no guidance, the people fall. Where there is no guidance, the people fall. What are we talking about? The people, the population, the, 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 the civic, uh, the, the commons, right? The, the community, whether it's the, the neighborhood or the state or, the, or the, the nation, whatever it may be. The people fall, but in an abundance of counselors, there is salvation. It's translated victory here, but it's one of our salvation words. So we need guidance. And where do we find that guidance? Well, if we just elect the the right person, if if we can just put into office the smartest guy possible, then he'll fix everything and make everything better. And, and solve all our problems. And we'll have a happy life if we just have the smartest guy in there. Okay, well, not what this verse says. <laughs> okay, and this verse doesn't say it's one smart guy that, that makes everything better. This verse actually talks about the community. It speaks of an abundance of counselors. It speaks of what happens when you and I, when believers are molded by the word of God. We become the counselors. The Word of God is our counselor. We become the sources of this wisdom. And it's a common wisdom. It's what we sometimes think of today as common sense, although there seems to be very little of it anymore. (laughs) Right? What happens when common sense is an endangered species? What happens when it's not so common? Or even worse, when it's the fallen wisdom of this world, right? James chapter 3. What happens when it's the fallen wisdom of this world that becomes the common sense of our neighborhood, of our city, of our state, of our nation? You see, both God's wisdom and the world's wisdoms can permeate a culture, and they do. If you you have a concentration of people that are all living according to the cosmos wisdom, well, guess what? That's going to have an impact. It's going, to have, it's going to be a whole different crowd of counselors, a whole different crowd of, of uh, convention wisdom, a whole bunch of uh, the, the conventional wisdom that says, well, everybody knows that, right? Oh, well, everybody knows, you know? And so stop and ask yourself, what does everybody know and how do they know it? 
And who is everybody? Are we talking about those that are shaped by the world, conformed to this world? Are we talking about those that are being transformed by the renewing of their minds? Because those are two different sets of everybody's, okay? <laughs> and this is what we've got to focus on. So if in fact we have this concentration of believers that are in the Word of God, that are being transformed, we will provide the legitimate guidance that comes from God. Then it, it is going to make sense. It is going to be clear. In fact, our political leaders will have an easier time of it if they're like-minded with a population, with everybody involved in the Word of God. We'll see it for what it is. Filling the commons with common sense. This supplies a community guidance and salvation. We got vocabulary to look at where there is guidance in the first hand, in the first part of the verse, and then when there is counselors in the second part of the verse. And the poetry puts them in tandem, puts them in, in uh, it links them together this way. So there's the guidance and then there's the counselors. That's why I call them the guidance counselors. We should be our guidance counselors. We should be guidance counselors in, in, uh, in our precincts, in our neighborhoods, in our city. And if, if, uh, if some, somebody speaks up and has some kind of harebrained thing um, and we know that violates Scripture, well, then who should take a stand and say, wait a minute, might I suggest? And then communicate truth, communicate wisdom. See, and just as you understand it, as you see it, as it shapes your thinking, as it shapes who you are, you don't have to cite chapter and verse and say, you know, Exodus 20, verse 7 says, thou shalt not steal. Um, not verse 7. Anyway, whatever the verse is, um, you know, just kind of say, you know, wait a minute, this seems like stealing to me and communicate wisdom, communicate wisdom and say, is this stealing? Is this right? Is this right or is this wrong to do such and such and lay it out there? All right, some principles here. We have falling versus salvation. You see in verse four, uh, the first part of verse 14, the people fall. The verb nafal is to fall. It's where we get Nephilim, the fallen ones. We talk about Adam and Eve and their fall, the fall into sin. And then the second part of the verse speaks of uh, salvation, rendered as victory. In an abundance of counselors, there is salvation. So we have antithetical themes of falling and salvation with many varied contexts in the Scripture. We want to know what this context is, and every time we come to this contrast, we want to ask ourselves, what's the scope? What's the venue? Antithetical themes of falling and salvation have many varied contexts in the Bible. Personal, communal, national, and universal. All right? This context here is communal. This context here is talking about the abundance of counselors and the, either the falling or the victory that can be achieved, the falling or the salvation that can be achieved in the community. This reference is communal, not personal, not national, not universal. And so um, I'll show you what I mean by this, all right? Because this, this is maybe the most philosophical I've been in a while <laughs> to put this on a slide like this. But I want us to think in these terms. I want us to think so that we don't jump into bad theology just off the bat. Uh, too often we read a, ver a word like saved and we immediately want to go somewhere with that without stopping to ask ourselves, wait a minute, 
what, how is the Bible using that? I don't want to go somewhere that the Bible's not going with that passage. Okay? And here it helps because the, the word saved doesn't show up in the English. <laughs> so it's helpful. This is one that we might not be so quick to be led astray to, but, but nevertheless the concept is here. So, uh, because we read a verb like saved, or we read a noun like salvation, and we start to think immediately back to um, my sins are forgiven, I'm not going to go to hell, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And so, and, and, and I'm trapped into, into this. And the only thing I can think of when I think of saved, I think of believing in Jesus and getting eternal life and having my sins forgiven. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? And, and, and a lot of times, because we think that way when we think about being saved. But, but that is the minority of uses in the, in the Bible for saved or for salvation. There, there are many other places where salvation speaks of rescue from a, from a warfare or from a, a, a being delivered from an invasion or an attack or, or the Jewish people surviving the tribulation and entering into the millennial kingdom, right? The one who endures to the end shall be saved. That's, uh, these are the Jews in the tribulation that have to survive Antichrist and have to live to the end of the tribulation and, and still survive until Jesus returns at a second advent and, and they shall be saved, and, and you get in trouble when you start mixing and matching these. You get in trouble when you, when you start mixing and matching the applications of salvation, the applications of forgiveness, the applications, uh, if you confuse a personal scope with a national scope. All Israel shall be saved. Is that a national scope or a personal scope? See, that's speaking as a nation. Wiping away their sins. Those are the national sins. Applying the blood of the covenant to the nation of Israel. Bringing the nation of Israel under the rod of the covenant. Bringing the nation of Israel into the land uh, boundaries. That's the national salvation. Not personal. Doesn't, you think about when God brought, when Moses parted the waters, right? And they walked out of Egypt. The nation was delivered. The nation was saved. Do you think that every single one of those Jewish people were personally born again? Do you think there might have been some unbelievers walking through dry ground? Sure. There were believers and unbelievers alike. Jew and Gentile alike. There was a mixed multitude, by the way, that came with the Jews out of Egypt. And so let's not confuse personal applications with communal, national, and universal applications. And, and so it's, it's useful. Anytime you have the word saved, anytime you have a word fall, anytime you have a word, uh, it, it's useful to ask yourself, what is the scope? Is this passage a personal passage? Is it a communal passage? Is it a national passage? Is it universal? Is it something that's so sweeping we're talking about in Adam and in Christ? Well then, okay, I get that. That's, that's a universal scope. That's, that's talking about the, the whole overall plan of God and the, and the provision of, of redemption right? All right. So here, the context is communal. Now, in addition to uh, Proverbs eleven fourteen, we have another passage coming up in Proverbs, Proverbs 28, 18. 28, 18. He who walks blamelessly will be delivered, but he who is crooked will fall at once. And again, we've got a, an application here. We've got saved, 
in the first part of the verse. We have fall in the last part of the verse. So what do you think we're talking about here? Is this, is this universal? Is it national? Is it communal? Is it personal? Okay? Seems personal because it's a he who. And, and in terms of falling, are we talking about losing salvation? <laughs> well, if salvation is in the first part of this, what's in the last part of this? See, No, we're talking about in the experiential outworking of our walk. We talk about living the Word of God, walking with integrity, applying righteousness in our daily life. There it is. You will never suffer by living the Word of God. God won't let you suffer. Okay? And even if He assigns some undeserved suffering along the way, you'll never regret being obedient to the Scriptures. You will never regret it. And then if you defy the Scriptures, don't be shocked when you fall. <laughs> okay? Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And uh, you want to walk that crooked walk? It's not Scripture. It's not the will of God. He's not leading you in that. So there's a personal scope there in, uh, with an antithetical theme of falling in salvation. Now, the context here in chapter 11 is communal. That's a context similar to what we see in chapter 15, chapter 20, chapter 24. In many of these Proverbs, we have communal scopes. We have applications that are then given for what happens when personal wisdom becomes public wisdom, when a body politic is transformed by the Word of God. We have wisdom that is living in our community. Proverbs 15.22 Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Proverbs 20 and verse 18 Now some of these kind of preach themselves, but then some of these also seem to contradict other expressions we have. Right? We have... We have modern day proverbs. We have modern day, um, you know, expressions. Too many cooks spoil the soup, right? Or too many chefs spoil the broth or too many whatever. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? Is that in the Bible? Where'd that come from? Came from where? Yeah, some chef somewhere. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I, could, I meant to look that up before I got here this morning. Was that Ben Franklin in the poor Richard's Almanac, or I mean, who knows? It came from some secular source. Don't Google it now. Wait till class is over. I'm tempted to turn off the Wi-Fi while we're in class just to keep people from Googling. All right. Listen to the class. All right. Um, but with a multitude of counselors here, is that a problem? What is the scope for this? Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Is this on a national level? Is this, uh, is this a model for government? Should we just do away with, with a, a single king or a single president or a single leader? And should we just go to kind of a, a community uh, uh, like-mindedness. We want to find out, we want to build a consensus and kind of rule by, by community. No, not on the national level, but at a community level, at a community level where we can come together and we can speak our ideas, where we can seek this wisdom. And if it's from the Lord, guess what? It's going to be like-minded. If it's from the Lord, we're going to find harmony. If it's from the Lord, we're going to find this agreement as we come together. 
There's a blessing in that. The world's wisdom is kind of fragmented and the opposite. There's jealousy, there's bitter ambition, there's tearing other people down. There's, um, you know, the, the, the worldly wisdom tries to counterfeit God's wisdom, but it, it, it falls. <laughs> it, just, it just comes apart at the seams. All right. This is communal. Okay, it's communal. This is, this is brothers and sisters that gather together that seek the wisdom of the Lord and are able to voice it in, uh, in this way. Chapter 15 and verse 22, we just looked at that. Chapter 20 and verse 18. Uh, Prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. Here too we find that even when we, from the community level up to the national level now, because who's going to declare war? Is it going to happen at the community level? Well, actually, the clans and tribes could theoretically levy, levy their troops. But on a national level, the idea of consultation, getting input, finding out from your generals, can we, uh, can we win this war? <laughs> you know, uh, Jesus spoke of that, you know, counting the cost before you build a tower or uh, uh, determine the strength of your opponent before you go to war. Don't the national level, even when you have a single authority, it's still not wrong to request guidance and request input before you make your final choice. So I think we have some principles there that may, uh, that may come into view in this. So, um, you know, by the way, this, this not only applies in temporal life, this not only applies in our community, but it also applies in our families, in our marriages, in our local church. You know, does the pastor just have the dictatorial control and just make changes and do stuff because he wants to? Or does he seek input? Does he ask for some guidance? Does he request uh, um, the wisdom of of his fellow elders? And does he uh, ask of the the members what what their uh, needs may be? Does he take a a survey of of things on a a website? (laughs) Okay. And say, maybe Sunday night is not the best thing anymore. Maybe we ought to go to a Tuesday, Thursday right? What do we do? Okay. And even if come new year, we stick with uh, Sunday night uh, and stick with Wednesday night, don't make any changes to the midweek. Even if we, we don't change a thing, we went through the process of seeing what, what, uh, what the Lord may open and what the Lord may close in, uh, in our ministry. All right. Finally, then um, chapter 24 and verse six. For by wise guidance you will wage war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. In abundance of counselors there is victory. And uh, the more input, the better. The more data you have to work with, the better. You want more information, not less. You want to hear from the other side as well. You certainly want people to, to tell you the downside. You want critics to be able to say why they think it's a bad idea. Okay, you don't want to surround yourself with just the people that agree with you. You know, if if if, if you're doing that, then you're just headed for a predetermined conclusion anyway. Why why bother pretending otherwise? Okay, you're just doing what you want to do. But uh, in the abundance of counselors, there is uh, a victory. And again, I think that's the same salvation vocabulary. 
Community guidance and judgment is illustrated repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. Repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. We've got examples of this. Deuteronomy 22, Deuteronomy 25, Joshua 20, 1 Samuel 16. And we could have added even more. Okay, And these are just for secular issues. These are for earthly things. This is just elders at the gate getting together and deciding a matter. Or uh, people getting together and working things out that have to be worked out. Community guidance and judgment. And that's why uh, the gates, the city gates, was the place for these things to be done. It was out in the open. It was there for everybody. All right, Deuteronomy 22. And some of this uh, is alien to us. I guess unless, uh, you know, in a big city and whatever. I mean, you know, in a small town, perhaps in, uh, the, the, you still have town halls and you have community gatherings. You have caucuses in some states. Uh, you have uh, a, a voice Maybe uh, in, in different, depending on the part of the country, you may still have a town commons, which is uh, a grassy area, park area, um, usually adjacent to the courthouse, adjacent to city hall, and uh, public gatherings could gather there on the commons, and uh, and you could have it out, have a have a open forum to discuss matters that were of uh, concern to the community. All right, Deuteronomy 22, 13 through 21. And, uh, wow, starting with this one, okay. Uh, Here is, uh, again, our culture struggles to relate to things that were considered normal in the ancient world. Uh, A man takes a wife and goes into her and then turns against her and charges her with shameful deeds and publicly defames her. And says, I took this woman, but when I came near her, I did not find her a virgin. That she has, she was not virgin on her wedding night. And uh, this, uh, this is the charge. All right, she was expected to be a virgin on on their wedding night. In fact, as the contract was drawn up between the fathers, between the parents of the groom and the parents of the bride, uh, this is in fact uh, stipulated in the in the contract. Uh, so the girl's father and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of the girl's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate. This is a matter of public record. This is something that a Freedom of Information Act request could be filed under uh, and was expected to be public record, see, which is, is what I say is alien to us today. All right. And uh, the girl's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man for a wife, but he turned against her. Behold, he has charged her with shameful deeds. It's considered shameful to not be virgin on your wedding night. Saying, I did not find your daughter a virgin, but this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the garment before the elders of the city. So the elders of the city shall take the man and chastise him and shall fine him a hundred shekels of silver. See, it's, it's a public record. And then the fine is assessed. And, and the whole village here has the, has the jurisdiction to review this and to assign this. Because it does. It affects the clan, right? It affects the family, the clan, the tribe. 
And uh, if, the, if the clan is going to enforce the land grant, is going to enforce the inheritance, is going to enforce the boundaries, uh, they're going to want to make sure that the child she bears belongs to that father and not some, some boyfriend before the wedding. Okay? And so um, shall find him a hundred shekels of silver, give it to the girl's father, because he publicly defamed a virgin of Israel, and she shall remain his wife. He cannot divorce her all his days. Here's another penalty. Court ordered uh, no, no divorce permitted. All right. But if the charge is true, that the girl was not found a virgin, then they shall bring out the girl to the doorway of the father's house, and the men of the city shall stone her to death. Yikes. What's the Bible's penalty for premarital sex? Yeah. What's our culture's attitude? <laughs> uh, that's right. Oh my, come on, it's good. It's normal. Everybody's doing it. You know? And all the things. That, and that's why when we, we, we enforce these values in our children, we are so bizarre to this world we live in. All right. Stone her to death. Why? She committed an act of folly. Not an act of wisdom. An act of folly. In Israel, by doing what? Playing the harlot. Oh, but she loved him. No. Okay. She didn't get paid for it. Doesn't matter. It's harlotry harlotry or fornication these are terms that 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 are used interchangeably it's harlotry you don't have to be a practicing streetwalker to practice harlotry any fornication outside of marriage is harlotry by playing the harlot in her father's house and see and and the, the supervision of that is to be with the parents is to be with the father the spiritual protector of that girl thus you shall purge the evil from among you and notice the, uh, the the necessity of this. It's like gangrene. It's the it's what will spread. It's what has to be stopped. It has to be purged. Harlotry defiles a land. It defiles a community. It defiles a, a house. Harlotry is defiling, and it must be purged. All right. This is why the uh, in the language of, of scripture, the um, you've got virgins. You have married women, you have widows, and then the only, uh, a divorced woman, and then the only other option is a harlot. That's, that's all the scripture allows for um, labels assigned to, uh, to this. All right. Let's go to a different one here. Uh, chapter 25. Community guidance and judgment. Something else that's alien to our culture today. When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go in to her and take her to himself as a wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. This is called the leveret marriage. And uh, it's mandatory polygamy, by the way, especially if this brother has his own wife already, that's irrelevant. Um, the, because the deceased brother has to have an offspring, has to have an heir 
to uh, to carry on that name and to um, for the transmission of the tribal uh, clan and family uh, promises of the Lord shall perform the duty of a husband's brother to her, and it shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of the dead brother, so that his name, and this is so, I know, heteronormative and patriarchy and blah, 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 and why should the woman take his name anyway, blah, blah, blah. We should hyphenate it, or he should take my name, and all this stuff that that militant feminism is so recoiling against. Um, But as the case may be, God designed it, and God designed the uh, the patrilineal descent of the Jewish tribes of the of the uh, blessings of Israel was to be through the fathers. The tribes are named after the fathers. We don't know most of their wives' names even. All right. And so, um, and and notice too, it's only the firstborn. You may have additional children with that woman as well. See. She will be your wife. It's not just a surrogate thing. It's okay, I got a baby now, go away. She is your wife for the end of her days, to the end of your days. And there may be other children as well beyond that firstborn. The subsequent children are yours. It's the firstborn that belongs to the older brother, or the, the deceased brother. Um, but if a man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go to the gate to the elders. So again, community judgment, community guidance that she needs backup on this because um, he's not doing what he's expected to do. He's not living up to his social obligations. He's not fulfilling his duty in to, to not just her personally in a marriage, but to the community. She needs a son. Who's going to take care of her when she's old? Right? She needs children and grandchildren that can, that can look after her. The, the, the elderly without children and grandchildren, who takes care of them? That, that then it adds the burden to the community. It adds the burden to a, to a local church. It adds the burden to the government. It adds the burden to whatever. Um, this old person needs help and they don't have any family to help them. What do they do? What, what is a woman going to do if she doesn't have a, a son or a grandson? So all these things, and first, uh, Timothy chapter 5 addresses this, widows and widows indeed, and, and uh, the blessing that a church can have when, when the widow indeed does not have children. All right, so she goes to the gate. My husband's brother refuses to establish a name for his brother in Israel. He is not willing to perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of the city shall summon him and speak to him. And they're going to give him the what not. Okay? Because they know they don't want their taxes going up. <laughs> They're going to pay for this woman. Who's going to redeem this land? Who's going to raise this child? Who's going to care for this widow? And plus, uh, I mean, who's working that field? Who's, who's, pro- who's productive for this land that the dead guy's not working anymore? So the, the community elders have a vested interest. And so they give him the whatnot. What happens if he defies them? And um, so if he persists and says, I do not desire to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the sight of the elders, pull the sandal off his foot, spit in his face, and she shall declare, thus it is done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. 
that goes with you. <laughs> that, that's, that's your nickname from then on. You know, you're the, you're the, the, the sandal off and face spit person. Okay? It's, it's more glorious in Hebrew. <laughs> All right? So think about it. What happens if you get that name? You know, oh, you're the, you're the guy that showed up with sunglasses that night. Okay? First time I ever visited Austin Bible Church, I wore sunglasses on a Wednesday, on a Wednesday night at 7.30 at night. Because I didn't want to drive all the way back to Fort Hood to get my other glasses. And I really wanted to hear Ralph teach. So I sat there in my sunglasses at night, looking stupid, but um, enjoying it, having fun. Glad I was there. But yeah, and then I left. And then there were people want to know, who's the idiot with the sunglasses? Okay. And so you get a name like that. And then you've got to work to do away with that name and replace that with something else. So this guy is going to have the name from... from how, when is he going to get rid of this name? The clan, the family, the clan, and the tribe. That guy has a name. He's got a reputation. That's, that's a guy is not plugged into our clan. He's not supporting our tribe. He's not engaged in the community the way that God has designed for it to be. He's a problem. All right. The illustration of this was uh, within the book of Ruth, right? Because there was a closer kinsman to, uh, to Boaz. And uh, the kinsman that would not redeem Elimelech's property because, property because he didn't want to raise up a child to Elimelech, he, he was struggling to pass on an inheritance to his own kid. And that's a whole sermon to preach right there. Joshua 20, verses 1 through 6. Cities of refuge. Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, Designate the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses. That the manslayer who kills any person unintentionally without premeditation may flee there. See, it's not murder if it was an accident. It's not murder if, if, it, if it, uh, it's still manslaying. It's still homicide, but it's not murder. And so he may flee there, and they shall become your refuge from the avenger of blood. By the way, it's the same language as the kinsman redeemer. It's the goel. It's the blood redeemer. The blood avenger. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and state his case in the hearing of the elders of that city. Now this is not a get out of jail free card. It's not I can just murder whoever I want and run to base and be safe. <laughs> okay? It's not tag and base and, and, and whatever. No, if he's a murderer, he will be put down as a murderer. But if it's an accident and he's not a murderer, then he has a, a, a procedure. This is due process. This is actually protection against the, the blood avenger from himself doing something wrong. This protects the revenge. This protects the clan. This protects the family from compounding the ugliness. And so he stands at the gate of the city and states his case in the hearing of the elders of that city. And they shall take him into the city to them and give him a place so that he may dwell among them. Now if the avenger of blood pursues him, then they shall not deliver the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor without premeditation and did not hate him beforehand. He shall dwell in that city until he stands, be- until he stands before the congregation for judgment, until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the manslayer shall return to his own city, to his own house, to the city from which he fled. 
And so the, the, the national parole takes place with the, the death of the high priest. And the new high priest takes office. And everyone that's living as an exile is then released, is then free to return to, the, to uh, their property. And they don't have to live in the, in the exile of the city of refuge. Marvelous procedure, is it not? Interesting. All right. Finally, 1 Samuel 16, 4. A little bit shorter, but it makes me laugh every time I read it. 1 Samuel 16, 4. 1 Chronicles, 1 Kings, 1 Samuel. Elders at the city. You know, do you get the key to the city or do they lock the gates and say, go away? <laughs> you know, why are you here? I love this. Um, so uh, the Lord sends Samuel to Bethlehem. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. And you can imagine Samuel saying, Who in the world is Jesse the Bethlehemite? Okay? What an obscure place. What a tiny little place. It's like, who knows where Oatmeal, Texas is, okay? You know? Well, maybe some of us, but go to, go to Washington State and ask them if they've ever heard of Oatmeal, Texas. All right. Who ever heard of the Bethlehemite? What's that? From Ephrathah? What's the Ephrathah clan? You know, you can name all the leading clans of Judah and, and Ephrathah won't come up on your list. But Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And you shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And notice the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? You see why they're so nervous is because in the previous chapter, Samuel was, had very quite spectacularly chopped up King Agag into tiny little pieces and, and sent those pieces throughout the land of Israel okay, on a tour because, um, because King Saul had disobeyed. And because Saul had disobeyed, um, you see the last few verses here of chapter 15, Samuel said, bring me Agag, and Agag is pretty full, thinking, hey, this is great. And uh, no, not so. As uh, your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Just chopped him up. Okay, I think the prophets had a pretty spectacular ministry on occasion. (laughs) Okay, in different ways. And if a prophet came to your town... The elders of your town would be very curious. What are you doing here? All right. And, I, and I'm also kind of curious, what was the procedure like? How did, did, did a prophet announce himself? Did he arrive at the gates? And then did he stand there? Did he, did he wait until he was given admission? Did he have to, uh, and it wasn't a big town. I don't imagine it had walls and fortresses. Maybe it did. But whatever the case, he comes to the entrance and he won't enter in, Right? Somehow, Samuel the prophet is seeking entry and the elders have to gather together to either, you know, like I say, give him the key to the city 
allow him to come in or deny him. Deny him, okay? Jesus had messages to his disciples about when you approach a city and if they give you welcome or not. All right, well, so yeah, you can see their nervousness. Well, why are you here? The elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? He says, I come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And uh, the rest of it, they say, is history. There's a good H.A. Ironside quote. I'm running out of time. Um, Let me grab this Ironside quote and then point D. I can do this in three minutes. I liked what H.A. Ironside had to say on Proverbs 11.4. To depend entirely upon one's own judgment is the height of folly. Even the wisest and godliest are often given to blunders and errors of discernment. For infallibility is a dream uh, indulged in concerning one man alone. To weigh a matter in the presence of God, to invite a counsel of those whose experience and spirituality, evidence, ability to try things that differ, is the course of wisdom. Rehoboam lost the major part of his kingdom by neglect of this important truth. And many a one has suffered grievous loss for the same disdain of counsel and help. Boy, that's a fact. (laughs) Rehoboam dumped all the old counselors that Solomon had and went with the young guys, went with his crowd, went with his peers, went with his frat buddies from whatever, the university of (laughs) whatever. Community guidance is provided in the church by the spiritual gift of administrator. There's a great giftedness to this. And in fact, the vocabulary of giftedness here, the vocabulary of the Kubernetes, remember that? Kubernetes. If you were uh, part of our uh, study on spiritual gifts and ministries, Kubernetes is the, um, the, the vocabulary for administration. It's the vocabulary for guidance the pilot of a ship. And it's translated in the Septuagint for the guidance that we have here in, in Proverbs 14, 11. That the, the, the one who guides, the counselor, the one who guides is the one who pulls the ropes, is the one who steers the ship. He's the pilot or the guide on the ship. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> you got to know what rope to pull and when. What rope... Uh, loosens the the sails what rope ties in the sails what rope turns the turns the rudder this way what rope turns the the rudder that way if you're going to pilot a vessel you got to know which ropes to pull and when that's why rope pulling is is the is the metaphor for guidance and that's true in hebrew that's true in greek that's true even in uh even in our own modern idioms we talk about people who know how to pull strings (laughs) okay ropes became strings but uh you know how to pull the right one Anyway, in the local church, we have tremendous guidance that can be provided by the gift of administrator. It's a spiritual gift that's provided to help steer a ministry through rough waters. And uh, it's a great empowerment. And I thought it connected really well with what we're looking at here. All right. Well, that wraps up verse 14. We'll be ready to move on and gain new ground next week. Uh, Talking about money again, being a guarantor for a stranger. And uh, who do we get connected with financially and why? and uh, more principles there. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you for this day. 
Thank you for the truth of Proverbs. Might we learn these lessons, make our own applications, Father, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our county, in our state, in our nation. Father, I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.